Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Day no more. Nothing personal. Word of the day for November 2nd, 2021 is day no more. That's D-E-N-O-U-E-M-E-N-T. That's the climax. The climax of a chain of events. Get your heads out of the gutter of a chain of events when something is decided or made clear. It normally is used when you're talking about a play or a work of art or a book. The day no more. It's coming. We're figuring out what's happening. Game six of the World Series is tonight, Tuesday, November 2nd. We've got Max Fried going against Luis Garcia. What interests me about a game six is it's making me think back to 2003. We were the road team going into New York, up three games to two, just like the Braves are the road team going into Houston, up three games to two. And I can never forget what that feeling was heading to the ballpark for game six, thinking to myself that we are 27 outs away. I was counting. I was in my seat once the game started, and I was counting out by out, as you would imagine I would in a Rain Man way, counting down from 27. Runs were hard to come by. Alex Gonzalez scored on an amazing stand-up slide, by the way, if you want to go back to the video. But what was critical was what was in my head was not just counting the outs, but envisioning what would it be like to win and then what was coming next. When you are in a position when you are not a player and you're an executive and you allow yourself to visualize what your future is, the significance of what it is to win a World Series, what you will be doing over the next couple of days after you've been planning for a parade, because once you get to three games, frankly, once you get into the World Series, you start thinking about planning for the parade and the logistics of that. I was thinking about getting a ballpark built and what I would do with this World Series, how I would use that as a sword to try to get a ballpark built and opened. At that time, I said, we'll have it done by 2006. I was, of course, six years off, but that was my plan at the time. And then you're sitting looking at fans of the Yankees, just like the Braves will look at fans of the Astros. And there's this feeling they have of amazing excitement because they're down 3-2, but they're at home. And what you try to do when you're on the road in the game six up 3-2 is score first because you want to see if you can put some pressure on the team like the Braves did in game five, right? They had the Adam Duvall grand slam. They were at home in Atlanta. But it's very different when you score first at home versus when you score first on the road. What's the big difference? Scoring first at home makes a loud crowd louder. But when you score first on the road, it makes a loud crowd quiet. And there's nothing you want more as a road team 
than to shut the other fans up. They talk about it in the dugout, the players do. We talk about it up in the suite or wherever we're watching the game. The concept is this. If you take the crowd out of the game, that means something good's happening. It's not that as a road team you care about playing in a loud atmosphere. As a matter of fact, Marlins players would tell you they preferred playing on the road where it was loud and there were tons of people because at home it was always so quiet no matter what. Not during the playoffs, of course, but during other games. So it's not the noise of the crowd that is the problem. It's why they're being noisy. And right after the beginning of a game when home crowds are noisy for no particular reason other than the fact the game is starting and they've been waiting to cheer for so long, for the rest of the game, the noise comes with success. So by quieting them, that means that the home team is not having success. And by definition, that means the road team is because, of course, it's binary. In order to have success, you have to have failure. You can't possibly have success with neutral. There has to be a balancing failure. So I'm looking for a lot of interesting things to happen tonight. The Braves have to not panic. When you're up 3-2, by definition, you don't panic. You have two tries to win one. Do you remember, Coca? We've never talked about this in 476 episodes. Do you remember in the NBA when there was something called three to make two from the free throw line? I am aging myself in a way that is so significant. Get in my ear, Coca. It was three free throws to make two. So if you miss the first, you get two more to make two. If you make the first and miss the second, you have a third to try to make it. If you make the first to make the second, then there is no third. Nothing. Anyone out there. It's only Tuesday. Whatever. I, I was. Are you still, like, from your birthday? Are you still tired? Are you still looking it up to see whether it actually existed? Are you questioning my memory? I guarantee you the NBA had three to make two. The Houston Astros have two to make one. That's it. The Astros have two to make two. So who has the advantage? Even though the Astros are favored in this game, that is 100% accurate. They should be favored in this game. The Braves are still favored to win the series. Slight favorites, but still favored. He's Coca's reminding me. Thank you. I guess you just Googled that. I really wish we had a camera. When we become big league, Coca, whenever that happens, and there's a camera on you at all times when we're doing this show because that's where we're headed, they're going to show you with all your screens and everything open and you Googling stuff. This is what Coca, I need to stop the show, not because I made a mistake this time, to tell you what Coca just said. Can you put it in the document, please? Remember, he's in my ear and in a document that's in front of us. Okay. Okay. Okay, 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 okay. If a player was fouled, if a player were fouled, were to be fouled, while attempting a shot that he missed, he had three opportunities to make two free throws. And that was eliminated, wait for it, folks, 40 years ago. I don't think I can possibly overestimate to you what a fan of the NBA I was in 1981. I had, uh, you know that Jeffrey Lurie, the former owner of the Expos in the Marlins, who in 1981 was married to my mother, so he was my stepfather, and I was this huge Nick fan, but I was not allowed to stay up late for the West Coast games. As a matter of fact, I really at 13, that was my bar mitzvah year, I wasn't even allowed to stay up for the end of a regular 7.30 game. And so he would write me a note 
and slip it under my door. So when I woke up for school the next morning, there'd be a handwritten note by him giving me the result of the Nick game. At 13, I was still getting those notes. I kept those notes, Jeffrey, by the way. I loved them. I don't know why. Why were we even talking about three to make two? I can't. There's no way I'm going to be able to land the plane. There's no way I'm going to get back. Oh, because the Astros have two to make two. Got it. Check. All right. Nothing personal pick of the day. I just want to get to it because I predicted when the series started that it would be the Braves in seven. So explain to me why I would change my mind. I wouldn't. I've gone four and one in the World Series in the first five games. Picked four of the games right. The reason I'm going with the Astros is that while earlier in the series I told you that Max Fried is a ace, best pitcher in the National League, I've come to the conclusion that Max Fried is officially fried. Two terrible postseason starts in a row. The Astros will score early off Fried. They will win this game and force a game seven. Now, am I going to switch tomorrow's pick from the Braves to the Astros? Do I pick the Astros in Game 7 because then I can't lose? If the Astros lose the game, I lose my pick of the day, but I win my way to see, which was Braves in 7. If I pick the Braves and they lose, I lose the pick of the day and I lose the Braves in 7 way to see. Who will I choose tomorrow if there is a tomorrow? Wait to see, but for now, Astros. Also mark down the date. November 2nd, 2021, I will never, never say never, but never pick the Chiefs again to cover. I'm not doing it. I'm watching the Giants Chiefs. We're given 10 where we should be given 20, and I'm realizing there's a slight misunderstanding that I have with the Kansas City Chiefs. They stink. They won the game, but they didn't cover. We're 143 and 127 pending the Astros in game six. All right, we got to get to this fun segment coming up right now because one of you asked it and we're going to answer. You know what I want? I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Get on my Twitter. David, the letter P, Samson. Get into my DMs, which are open. Ask me a question. And if it interests me, and coca, because it has to interest both, then I'm going to answer it. Something came out yesterday that I was not aware of, and one of you were. So here was the exact question you asked. By the way, so you want to talk Samson's from the movie Half-Baked, but you know that. I would love to know your thoughts on the Oakland A's relocation survey sent to the AAA baseball season ticket holders in Vegas. And I thought to myself, this can't be right. But there was a link. There's a triple A team that used to be called the Las Vegas um, 51s, the Area 51s, the Vegas 51s. Anyway, they're now the Las Vegas Aviators. I'm not sure why. I don't associate Vegas with aviation. But in any case, there's a triple A team in Vegas. I always wanted our triple A team to be in Vegas. They had the worst facility in the old days. And they were the booby prize. If your major league team had Vegas as a triple-A team, that was a nightmare because the facility was bad. The players got totally distracted. They had a hard time performing. Road teams had a hard time performing because road teams from triple-A would go to Vegas. They'd go out in Vegas, and then they wouldn't play well. It just wasn't great for baseball, as a matter of fact. It's not like the South Beach flu. It's like the South Beach gonorrhea. 
when you are in Vegas, and I love Vegas, you know I do, but there's a lot of distraction, shall we say. But the Oakland A's are trying to get a ballpark deal done, really a real estate play done in Oakland, but they're threatening to move to Vegas. And you have heard me over the days, weeks, months, and years. We can now say that, Coca. It used to be only over the days. Then it was over the days and weeks. Then we were in months, but now we're in years. Shocking. Like Max and where the wild things are. In and out of days and over a year. So they've been trying to get that ballpark deal done. Can't get it done. So they've threatened to move to Vegas. And they're pretty serious. They send the president there to explore Vegas, which makes me laugh. Are you going to find like a hidden gem in the desert somewhere? They're just going there for optics. You can negotiate a deal with local people without announcing you're there. But what would be the fun of that? You have to go public that you're having meetings. In baseball, when you are using relocation as a leverage, it is only leverage if the people you are trying to use the leverage against are aware that you are doing that thing that gives you leverage. You got that? There is only leverage when you are arguing with someone or when you are trying to get something you want. If you make it very clear to the person from whom you are trying to extract something that you have that which they want. In this case, you have a franchise and you're willing to move it. Wink, wink. But the A's stepped it up yesterday and one of you sent me a link that I wasn't supposed to get because I am not a Las Vegas Aviators season ticket holder. It is a survey. Survey says, top 100 answers on the board. 100 people asked, when you walk into a kitchen at night, what's the first thing that you look for? Eh, donuts. <sniffs> Number three. Eh. A knife. Number seven. I miss you, Richard Dawson. I want to take the survey with you today. This is an actual survey. If you're watching on YouTube, nothing personal with David Sampson YouTube channel, not only can you see my blue ensemble today, but you can also see the phone that I'm putting in front of the camera. That is actually my phone. Look. Keep calm and carry on. You've seen the phone. It's been on the show when I get phone calls from people during a show and I take them sometimes. This is a survey, and there's a next. I don't know if you can see that. I'm screwing with the focus. Coke is getting pissed, but there's a next button. So here we go. We sincerely appreciate your participation in this important survey. This survey will take approximately 10 minutes to complete. Don't hit pause. Don't hit fast forward. I'm not doing the whole survey. I am just showing you an example of how funny I bet you this survey is. First of all, I want to predict this survey. I haven't seen it. I'm doing it live right now. The only thing that matters to the Oakland A's, they are counting how many of you will buy season tickets. And the way you do it when you're not asking for deposits is you ask something like, are you more likely, somewhat likely, less likely to buy tickets if blank? Let's say if there's a, uh, if the Yankees come to town, if we play at 10 p.m. If we've got a 9.99 buffet, if we have blackjack tables and slot machines, if we have a sports book, because then they get to show MLB and the Oakland people, hey, listen, we've got like 15,000 people here on a waiting list. It's gonna be amazing. 
Of course, MLB could not give two crappers about the results of this survey. But here's the worst part. Neither do the A's. The results of this survey have nothing to do with whether or not the A's will relocate to Vegas. But it's going to be funny. So here we go. I'm hitting next. Next. This is live. I don't know if it works. Are you a resident of the Las Vegas metro area? I'm going to go with yes just to see what it says. See, that's the first question. We're going yes. Next. Do you currently purchase season tickets for any other professional sports team in the Las Vegas area? Ooh, I'm going to go no. Next. How would you characterize your interest in Major League Baseball? One, avid fan. Two, casual fan. Three, limited fan. Four, not a fan. What do you want to answer, Coca? Let's go casual and see what that leads to. In general, how many MLB regular season games do you attend annually? Since 2017, to Next. Do you or your company have season tickets or premium seating for MLB teams? Why are they asking about MLB teams and they know that I am a resident of the Las Vegas metro area? You're supposed to have a flowchart when you do a survey. If I say yes to that, they should be asking me about what I'm doing, not whether or not I've been to MLB games. I live in Vegas. There's no MLB teams in Vegas. No. Next. The Oakland Athletics. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Oh, God, this is it. The Oakland Athletics are currently considering relocating the franchise to Las Vegas. Holy cow, they actually wrote that. And constructing a new state-of-the-art ballpark on or near the Las Vegas Strip. Overall, what is your attitude toward the potential relocation of the Athletics to Las Vegas and the construction of a new state-of-the-art ballpark? That is a poorly written question. Here's why. Too long, number one. Make the question short. No one wants to read that much. Number two... The question is not, how do I feel about construction of a state-of-the-art ballpark? The question that they never want to ask is, how do you feel about paying for construction of a state-of-the-art ballpark at or near the Las Vegas Strip? I'm going to say somewhat positive. Okay. Why do you feel this way? Not going to answer that. What is your attitude toward the athletics franchise as it exists today? Positive, somewhat positive, neutral, somewhat negative. Did they pay someone for this survey? Seriously? When really the only thing they're trying to figure out is money? We got to get to the money. I'm going to say somewhat positive. And let's see. Are we at the money? Why do you feel this way? I don't want to answer that. Given that the... Here it is. Given that the Athletics play in the AL West, other AL West teams, including the Astros, Mariners, Angels, Rangers, would visit Las Vegas to play games more often than other teams. How does the extra visitation of these teams affect your likelihood to attend Athletics games in Vegas? significantly enhance my interest, somewhat enhance my interest, neutral, detract, or significantly detract. I'm going to go with somewhat detract my interest. Do you know why they have that question in? Because one of the things that will happen with relocation and expansion is there's going to be realignment. And so the question is, will the A's stay in the American League West? They could go to the National League West. The Astros could end up in some sort of central division. But I'm going to go somewhat detract my interest. Where's the money question? Oh, here we go. Upon moving to Vegas, the Athletics Ownership Group would seek to construct a new state-of-the-art ballpark located on or near the Strip. A number of potential ballpark designs are being considered, including an open-air ballpark or a fully enclosed ballpark. Which potential ballpark design would you most prefer? 
with the understanding that a retractable roof or fully enclosed ballpark would provide protection from heat and inclement weather? Coca, is this happening? All right, let me let me tell you why I'm not answering that question. Because Major League Baseball will not allow an open air, open air book. Cut that. 469. The reason why that's a funny question is that Major League Baseball will never allow an open-air ballpark to be constructed in Las Vegas. Have you ever been to Las Vegas in the summer? It's full Buster Poindexter. Feeling hot, hot, hot. I'm going to write that I'm in for a retractable roof ballpark. They got to ask me if I'm going to buy tickets. If the new athletics ballpark were completely open-air, how would that impact your potential interest in attending games? Great question. Now, why would the A's want to build an open-air ballpark if they can't get public financing? Open-air ballparks are clearly cheaper to build than retractable roof ballparks. However, retractable roof ballparks are the only type of ballpark that are possible in Vegas, period. I would say I would no longer be interested in attending home games. That was a possible answer. Next. God, this is fun. Where's the are you going to spend money? If the... new If the new athletics ballpark were completely enclosed, how would that impact your potential interest in attending games? And I would say it would have no impact on my interest. It would reduce my interest. I would no longer be interested. I'm going to say it would have no impact, just for fun. If the ballpark was instead, there's a grammatical error on this. If the ballpark were instead located elsewhere in the Vegas metro area, how would that impact? I'm not interested in that. I'm going next. Oh, a response is required. They wrote a response is required. All right, I'm going to the next one very quickly because I'm getting bored of this survey. It's too damn long. And there's still nothing. I'm waiting. I'm stopping. What's wrong with this survey, folks? It took that long to get my name and to see whether or not I'm going to get on a list for buying season tickets. Hi, Oakland. If you only knew how far you were from moving to Vegas. All right, let's take a break. I'm going to finish the survey during the break, and then we're going to review a movie, but then I'm going to talk about how the Blackhawk scandal in hockey is still far from over, and there is so much CYA going on with the union and the head of the union, Donald Fear, and with Gary Bettman that it would stagger you, and their quotes from yesterday were absolutely perfect, nothing personal fodder. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name's David Sampson. Matthew Koch and I bring you 45 minutes of unfettered entertainment five days a week where we talk about all sports, culture, entertainment, politics, 
anything that interests us, that interests you, and you show your interest by downloading, following, rating, reviewing on Apple, subscribing on the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. What a world we're in. I need all of, I need all of that. I really do. I watched a movie called Birds of Paradise yesterday. Birds of Paradise is about ballet dancers. It's sort of like Black Swan with Natalie Portman, that Oscar award winning. Did Natalie Portman win the Oscar for Black Swan, Coca? I have some strange recollection that she did. And I also believe that she met her now husband on the set of Black Swan, who was a ballet dancer on that movie. Birds of Paradise is about two young women who are at a, in France, who are competing to be part of the French ballet or the French opera ballet or whatever they're going to be members of. And it is about the competition that exists in this school, and it is brutal. And it reminded me, it stars Jacqueline Bissett. If you don't know who Jacqueline Bissett is, then uh, go watch Class with Rob Lowe and Andrew McCarthy from 1983, and you will fall in love with Jacqueline Bissett. That came out when I was 15 years old, and it's about, it would not play today. Class is about a mother of a high school student who has an affair with the high school student's roommate at the boarding school they go to. Rob Lowe is Jacqueline Bissett's son, and she goes out one night, meets Andrew McCarthy, and bing, bang, boom, there's some bing, banging, and booming, and then he goes home for vacation with his best friend Rob Lowe, and hello, ma'am, oh my God, it's you. Not sure that would really work right now, but wow, did that work for a 15-year-old with lots of stuff going on in his body, lots of stuff in his brain. So she stars as the judge of this contest, where these girls are forced to do things that you would not believe that ballet dancers do. And the only reason that I believe they do is my daughter was a part of Meg Segreto in South Florida, Meg Segreto Dance Studio. And I can't tell you the number of days and nights you drop her off, you pick her up after school, you go wait online to get tickets to a recital, you sit there for 10 hours of a recital to watch your child dance three times for four minutes each. The other times you're trying to get sleep, you're on your phone, you're distracted. You're getting yelled at by your wife because you're not paying attention. And I say, I don't want to pay attention because it's not my daughter. Then your daughter comes up. We're sitting on the wrong side. She's the smallest one in the group, so she's in front, which is good. But sometimes she's on stage right. Sometimes she's on stage left. I may be sitting in the right side of the audience, and she's stage right, so I can't see her. By the way, when people say stage right, just so you can learn that, stage right is for the actors who are looking out at the audience. It's their right. Stage right is your left as an audience member and the right side of the actors who are looking at the audience. So I know a thing or two about the pressures of ballet and what it does to girls, the competition of it all, how mangled their feet look and bloody and gross and how hard it is to be on point when you're on point and up point. The movie itself is a interesting movie. It's a poor person's black swan. But if you're into ballet and into people who are competing a little too hard to get something that is hard to monetize and you like things that are shot in a very artsy way, because this movie is very visually stimulating with a focus on the latter word, Birds of Paradise. So I picture Birds of Paradise like they're flying around and I picture it like defending your life when they're in purgatory waiting to defend their life and everyone's wearing white robes. I picture paradise that way and I picture birds are flying around and they're chirping the nice noise. 
There are two people who woke up this morning who the only birds in their paradise are vultures, and the vultures, watch this transition, are nipping at their skates. I'm talking about the Blackhawks scandal. It's not going away anytime soon. It has taken 100% of Gary Bettman, the commissioner of hockey, and Donald Fear, the head of the NHL Players Association, it has taken up 100% of their time for the past week. Once Beach gave his, came public, Kyle Beach, the player, and he was no longer a John Doe because when there's a John Doe, you can hide and say, hey, we don't know who it is. Hey, we're going to work hard to make sure it doesn't happen again. We want this to be a very comfortable place. We want hockey to be a safe space. You've heard me talk about it. But yesterday, Donald Fear had to go into save my tuchus mode. SMTM. Because the NHL players were saying, I've got a question, Donnie. Why didn't we do more to protect Kyle Beach when he was a member of the union and he was being assaulted and molested and whatever was and and physically abused, and yet they were nowhere to be found? What's the purpose of your job when you are the head of the union but to protect the players? To which Donald Fear would say in a private moment when no one's listening and the microphones and cameras aren't on, he would say, listen here, players, and he did say this to them, I promise you. You want me to protect you from that? That's not what I'm hired to do. I'm hired to help you in collective bargaining. I'm hired to help you make more money. That's why you hired me for Major League Baseball. Not so I could protect you and make hockey a safe space. However, I'm now forced to publicly say that that's my position. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give a quote. (laughs) Okay? (sighs) I have to say the system failed to support Beach in his time of need. I have to say that I was made aware of the allegations and that I did everything I could, but I could have done more. I like when people say that. I did all I could. That's what you say like we're in an argument with your significant other. I did my best. Well, your best wasn't good enough. I know, but it was my best. What could I do more? It's like when you get a C at at a paper in school and you're in physics and the physics teacher says, you know, you could have done better. Well, no, I couldn't have. I literally do not understand the topics on the exam. Well, you could have studied harder. No, I could not have studied harder because you... (laughs) because you are speaking French to me. That's a terrible example because I speak French. So Donald Fear has vowed that this will not happen again. Page two of the playbook, when something bad happens, you always say it'll never happen again. And then it happens again and you say, we've learned our lesson and this time we mean it. Well, if it happens again, you end up resigning so the next person gets to come in and say, now that I'm in charge, I'm going to put all of these systems in place so this doesn't happen again. But then it happens again, and then they have to come up with an excuse. Who knew? I didn't know. I thought that these new systems were great. Gary Bettman's in the same position. Gary Bettman spent his time yesterday 
doing exactly what commissioners are paid to do. What do you think Gary Bettman did as it relates to the Wirtz family who own the Blackhawks? What do you think if you had a guess? On three, we'll say it together. One, two, three. Protect the owner. We've seen Roger Goodell protect Daniel and Tanya. We see Rob Manford. Every commissioner. The only people who can't be protected is when you're racist and you get caught being racist. Because being racist, believe me, there are team owners who are racist currently today in all four sports. I promise you that. The only owners who don't get protected by the commissioner are those who are caught being overtly racist, like Donald Sterling. But this, Kyle Beach of the Blackhawks, being molested by a coach. Here's what Gary Bettman said. I think it's clear that senior management made the decision to not deal with this and not talk about it and not tell ownership about it. I think this situation and the view of this that we express to the clubs on an ongoing basis is that people that work for you do their jobs. If nothing else, this has to serve as a wake-up call for all clubs. You need to make sure you understand what's going on in your organization because you're going to be held responsible. You're fined $2 million. People are up in arms. $2 million, it's nothing. Gary Benton was criticized for only fining the Blackhawks $2 million. And then he says, hey, but listen, that was a pretty big fine. And they didn't know. Have you ever seen a team president get thrown under the bus faster than John McDonough has been thrown under the bus as president of the Blackhawks? He's getting it from all sides, from the GM, from the commissioner, from the owners. I was president of a team for 18 years. I would not have kept that from my owner for one reason only. What do you think that is? Why would I tell the owner if there's an allegation of sexual assault going on in the company? Because I've got to make sure the owner's aware of it because if I'm going down, he's going down. And we will all go down together. There's a lot of things I would do and a lot of heat I did take for our owner and I would continue to take as it relates to PR or issues with managers or trades or team performance or lack of revenue. Anything that I did on my own, I would take responsibility for, and I would give him plausible deniability. There were certain things I would not tell the owner because he didn't need to know, and this is not, for example, life or death or assault. If the bobbleheads were running late out of China and stuck at the Panama Canal, I'm probably not going to tell them. And as we get closer to the game, I'll say, by the way, we're getting rid of the bobblehead promotion because they got stuck in China. And he'd say, thanks for telling me. And then we'd move on. So I'm not saying that owners know everything, nor should they be expected to know everything that goes on in your organization. But what I am saying very, very clearly is that something like this, of course, the Blackhawks owners knew. It's not even a question. And of course, Gary Bettman has to toe the company line and say, oh, they didn't know, but next time we're going to hold you responsible anyway, so you better know. Remember Mark Cuban in the NBA? Oh, I had no idea this was going on. I'm so despondent. I was in the locker room playing basketball with my players. Who knew there was harassment? Hi, I'm Daniel Snyder. I didn't realize that we were throwing around naked pictures of our 
of our Washington football skins cheerleaders. Oh, I know I was asking for them and looking at the videos, but I didn't realize that there was any sort of harassment. Yeah, I did notice when I walked through that there were really no women around, but I didn't. I thought that was normal. It's such a crock of crap that I can hardly believe it. <sighs> Zach Scott got fired. Did you see that? The Mets fired their GM. The GM who got caught, DUI. Tony LaRusso got DUI, didn't get fired by the White Sox. Zach Scott got DUI'd, got put on administrative leave, and then the Mets just fired him yesterday. The Mets have no one running their front office. They have Sandy Alderson and his son doing it. Remember, it's not about nepotism. I'm all in on that. You know that. But I'm all in on quality. The reason why the Mets got rid of Zach Scott is that they're trying to rid themselves of the stench of mediocrity. The stench of loss. The stench of incompetence. There's so much stench at City Field, and it's not coming from the chop shops. Steve Cohen did announce he may partner with Sands and build a casino near the chop shops. They've been talking about that for a decade. Do you know when A-Rod and J-Lo were bidding on the Mets? Their big play was, yeah, we're going to do a casino because that's where the money is. That's how we can spend $2.4 billion on the franchise, not get the TV network, which happens to be the profitable one, still profitable even with subs going down, subscribers decreasing. But our play is a gambling play. Every owner's play is a gambling play right now. But the Mets fired Zach Scott, and I'm okay with that decision. Zach Scott was promoted because they had to fire their original GM, Jared Porter, who was brought in by then Theo Epstein, where the thought was that Theo was going to join the Mets, so Theo had all of his guys hired by the Mets. Porter gets fired for the lascivious, prurient, and salacious text that he was sending. He got full Callawayed. So he's gone, so they promoted Zach Scott, and everything's fine. Except Zach Scott is not a GM. He was the assistant GM, so they just named him GM, but it was really Sandy Alderson running the team. And now that Scott got caught, they said, ah, we'll just move on because we're hiring someone else. The problem is they can't find anyone else to hire. They're going around, and they're trying to ask permission for anyone or everyone they can find. Why do teams do this? I want to spend a minute and talk about that, if you don't mind. Well, you don't have a choice. I guess you could vote with your finger. But we're going for 45-minute retention here, so stay with me because I want to explain the front office mentality as the president of a team, why it is that the Mets are asking permission of so many executives around baseball. The Mets originally had said that they were going for a big name. Billy Bean, Theo Epstein, David Stearns of the Brewers, because they felt that a big name would bring immediate credibility to the organization. It's the same feeling that I had when we were going for a manager, when we were switching managers, when you want to go to a known manager, a big name, whether it's an Ozzie Guillen or a Don Mattingly, and you try that, and then it doesn't work, and then you go for a new manager like a Freddie Gonzalez or a Mike Redmond or an Edwin Rodriguez. You're always going for something different than what you have. But the Mets are such a new organization under Steve Cohn that they don't have their footing. 
And it makes me think back to my first few years in the game back in Montreal when we fired Philippe Alou, who was a legend in Montreal, and brought in Jeff Torborg, who was a veteran manager. He'd been managing, was a good friend of the owner. And we do those things because it's what we think is right. It's what we actually believe will lead to more wins. I've never questioned whether Steve Cohn wants to win. I've merely questioned the manner he, which he, in which he's doing it because I have the benefit of hindsight. But when you are new to the game, you believe that you know best. You believe that you have the ability to do it better than your predecessor. You believe that you can take your business acumen from other industries and have it translate into baseball. Steve Cohn has tried that for a year, but a year is still very nascent. He's very young in his ownership career. He's turned down by all these big names, and he's got the GM meetings coming on November 8th. We are a week away from when all the GMs get together and they start talking about laying the groundwork for trades. We are at most seven days away from the start of free agency. And this is a time when you are meeting with players, you're tampering with players, you're talking to agents right now. You are doing it off the record because it's illegal against the rules, not illegal, you're not going to jail, it's just against the rules. But this is a time when you are executing the strategy that has been laid out by the owner, the president, and the GM. And the Mets are behind. They want to get someone in place by the GM meetings. But they're missing a major part. They're not taking into account where we are today. And where we are today in Major League Baseball is on the precipice, on the edge, right around the corner from a lockout, a work stoppage. The winter meetings are scheduled for the second week in December, like December 3rd to the 8th, let's say. I guess that's the first week of December. If there's a lockout on December 2nd, there will not be major league participation in the winter meetings, which, by the way, are really for the minor leagues. The GM meetings are where you lay the groundwork for trades and signings that are done in the winter meetings and beyond. But this year, the formula is different. You have all the time in the world. It's not like Steve Cohn's looking at the shortstop market and trying to be first to get one of Seeger or Story or Correa. He has his shortstop in Lindor. Free agents are not going to be signing immediately because no owners are going to offer deals because the big market teams do not know where the competitive balance luxury tax threshold will be. The players want it to go higher. The owners want it to go lower. We don't know yet. They, dollar, they don't know yet. And when you don't know what the goal line is, how do you know in football what play to call when the quarterback is looking at his wrist or the catcher in baseball is looking at the wrist and putting fingers down, you know what the object of the game is. You know you want 10 yards for a first down. You know you want to score a touchdown. You know you want to get a ball in play or strike a guy out. 
you don't know right now where the goalpost is in Major League Baseball. Therefore, there is no way for the Mets to act because there's no reason for them to act right now. Therefore, you don't need to run around like your head's on fire. And that's what the Mets are doing. They've asked for permission for like 10 executives who are assistant GMs, up-and-coming executives who no one's ever heard of outside of the people in the industry, to bring them in as GM. Maybe they're going to do exactly what they did last year, hire a GM like Jared Porter, not hire a president of baseball operations, let Sandy Alderson do it, and Steve Cohn will make the same mistake he made last year because doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, boy, that's insane, isn't it? But Major League Baseball is never afraid to get some good press out there. So word leaked out that the Mets asked permission for the Boston Red Sox assistant general manager, Raquel Ferreira, trying to see if maybe there will now be a second female GM in baseball. Kim Ng of the Marlins was number one. What's better than one female executive? Two. So word leaks out, shockingly, that Raquel Ferreira is one of the names that is being asked. I got news for you. The Mets are not going in that direction. She has worked to the Red Sox, though. She survived through four administrations. I want to explain to you why that's a negative. The leak talked about how accomplished Raquel is, and she may be terrific, but one of the things they put in her resume is she has worked in four regimes, Theo Epstein, Ben Sherrington, Dave Dombrowski, and now Chaim Bloom. Do you know why that's not a positive? Because Chaim Bloom is the current GM. Dave Dombrowski moved to Philadelphia. Theo now works at MLB. I don't know what Sherrington does. Where is he, Koki? He's somewhere. Works for a team. When a new GM comes into a team, brings his or her own people, if they have the actual power. They keep some other people, but those are people who are in administrative roles, people who know the rules, people who are taking care of the roster, not people who are necessarily involved in scouting or in deciding who's going to play on the team, in making the team, in formulating the team. And that role is critical. Don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand me. You need to have people with administrative strength. That's what Kim Ng is with the Marlins. You put her out as someone who's the GM, but in fact they are doing the duties of an assistant GM. If the Mets hire Raquel, what that means is Sandy Alderson is continuing as the de facto GM, and that is something Steve Cohn doesn't want. Ah, Cherrington is the Pirates general manager. Thank you, Coca. If this assistant GM were involved in the GM part of the game and being trained and ready to be a GM, she would have gone with one of the other people she worked with to their new team, whether it be the Pirates, whether it be the Phillies. And I'm not saying this because I know Raquel. I'm saying this because in 18 years, I know exactly who got poached to go to other teams and who didn't and why. So here's my wait to see. Wait to see is when I tell you something's going to happen. When it does, I revisit it. When it doesn't, I revisit it. The Mets are not hiring Raquel Ferreira to be their general manager. Wait to see. Well, that's our show. Let's get ready for a game six. Enjoy it. Remember. 
It's just business. This is nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.